All right, welcome to Just Made Coffee, the podcast where I sit, make coffee, and talk about things that are going on. Today I'm joined by a guest. Uh, he's, he's a close friend of mine. His name is Dimitri, and Dimitri, I'll let you kind of introduce yourself and say what you do. All right. Uh, hi, guys. Uh, I'm Dimitri Napoleon. I am a podcaster myself. I'm a news director at WCRD, do all kinds of radio stuff. I also work with sports a lot, quite frequently, play baseball. Now, generically, this podcast is about just kind of talking about whatever. There's no real theme to it, but today is a little bit different. I wanted to start by looking back on something I've been researching for a bit, and that's whether or not athletes should be paid, and athletes being college athletes. Um, I would say that after doing my research, I've grown to take a pretty good stance on the side that college athletes should be paid for the use of their image and for playing and that comes with a few caveats and those really seat within uh, how well the schools do in recognizing that the athletes are earning the school's money and it comes with some reforms that would need to be called for in the NCAA and other athletic organizations but those that I don't really know how to do myself. This research has been going on for a few weeks now, and I have my stance, but Dimitri, I want to hear a little bit about uh, where you sit on this topic, and then we'll go deeper into uh, just the research that I've done and provide some clarity on why I feel the way I do. Right, so I'm I'm in between because I know that this is a gray nature, if this is a gray area in the, in the college sports realm. And there's a lot of people uh, that have really polarized their stances, either that they want to want college athletes to be paid. Then you have other people uh, that believe that, you know, they're already college athletes. They're already getting paid to go to school, basically through tuition, free tuition. Uh, there's no reason for them to be paid for that. And then that if they're good enough to get paid for the college sports, then they should. Then they shouldn't have to worry about it because they'll be good enough to play in professional sports. Obviously, that's not the case. And so I'm just going to point more of a balanced perspective. I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Now I want to open up with just like a few numbers, and that's looking at the amount of athletic scholarships that the NCAA is allowed to give out at the Division One, Division Two, and Division Three levels. And according to an article that I looked up. There are some differences between the football bowl subdivision and the football championship subdivision when you're looking at football scholarships for NCAA schools. And collectively, you get you get 148 scholarships for both divisions at each school. So together that combines for a national total of 19,000 scholarships at the Division I level, which seems like a lot, but when you consider na- nationwide, in, high, in retrospect, not hindsight, that is not quite so many. And as you filter down the divisions, Division two schools don't get out full scholarships. Instead, they're allowed to give out partial scholarships, which impacts how much each person receives, whether or not you get uh, full-ride tuition or if you just get, here's a little bit of extra, much like um, an academic scholarship. Then at the, at the Division three level, there are no athletic scholarships under the NCAA, which is a huge impact on if someone's looking to go play in college or try to market themselves towards the professional divisions. 
If you don't get any extra monetary assistance and can't afford the college necessarily, then that puts you at a severe uh, setback position compared to other athletes that have already been given scholarships at higher divisions. Right, and I think that that's where it, the, the problem lies is do you give out these scholarships to athletes that may be in college baseball? Yeah, you know, do you give do you give gymnastics scholarships? You know, and this is a difficult situation that all colleges face because they are under a very strict budget and they have to make sure that all their funding is allocated in proportion to how much ROI they get, which is return on investment. And obviously, schools like Duke are going to make their money off of their basketball program. And a little bit off their football program. But they're not going to get their money off of their gymnastics. They're not going to get their money off of their baseball team that much. Just even though that even though that Duke is such a high-level school and even their college baseball team is one of the better ones in the country being in the ACC, uh, it's, just, it's just complicated because the revenue, most of college revenue is coming straight from football and basketball. Um, and it, it's just really the disparity is huge uh, most of the money for the NCAA comes directly from big schools uh, and even there's a disparity even within the same division one level between FBS and FCS and the group of five and the power five which is the group of five and power five are ten conferences that make up D1 but the power five conferences are the big money makers for the NCAA at large so that, depend, that, that determines how much scholarships could be given out uh, schools that are going to really be willing to spend scholarships on athletes that are their big money makers. You talk about Duke when he, Zion Williamson was here, uh, and you talk about any pretty much any iconic football player that has come through the program. Uh, they that's that's how they invest the money, and they choose to invest it in their athletes. And then you can consider these scholarships payment and and. Uh, payment and investment at the same time you're paying their tuition for their marketing potential awesome now you mentioned a little bit about baseball and dimitri i know that your background is pretty heavily in baseball and for a lot of sports fans that focus on college sports you see football and basketball being noted primarily and the path to go from college football and college basketball to professional divisions looks a little bit different than that for baseball. So if you want to provide some quick context on the path from baseball in high school to baseball maybe in college, then to professional play, uh, that would be nice just so that the audience has a little bit more to go off of and provides context for the all-around, which is why this is such a hot topic and really heavily debated. Right, so baseball is an incredibly complicated process. It's a, it's it's a. I consider the path to being a major league baseball player a web, and there's a lot of different career paths that, you know, that high school athletes can go through. Um, they can go through the JUCO level, which is junior college, two years, uh, which is the, obviously an ideal choice if you want to build up a resume and move on to the co- a, a top college. In fact, Ball State University, all their top players that they have ever they had on their roster were all JUCO transfers. But, you know, also high schoolers, there's times where they go into prep schools that are specifically designed to train themselves to be a pro athlete in high school. And those guys often get drafted 
in the first rounds or the first few rounds in MLB draft and you just skip college altogether. And at the same time, you might have the traditional guy who may get drafted in high school uh, but declines his MLB contract, declines the, him being drafted, and he'll go back and play some college ball, whether that be at D2 or ideally D1 if he's getting uh, offers to play an MLB out of high school. Um, but then, you know, you got guys that just don't have that at all who are high school athletes but are good, and they want to continue playing college baseball in the future, so they join a D3 or D2 or uh, NCAAIA, which is NAIA, which is a different breed of baseball and a complicated organization within itself. So those are the main outlets. And even when you get to professional baseball, there's just so many different rungs of minor league baseball before you get called into the majors. And a lot of those guys end up not even playing in call in professional baseball at all, and they end up going playing independent, which is a whole different option in itself. So there's just a lot of it's a complicated nature of college baseball, and I think that it's not an easy thing to understand. It takes a long time to figure out. Uh, but that was kind of my synopsis of how uh, baseball, the progression system works if you want to be a professional athlete. Awesome. Now I can attest to the NAIA a little bit being different. And my personal story and why this topic is closer to me, and that is because I was given the opportunity to go play soccer at an NAIA school, but obviously I did not get an offer for the first team, which would have been in their varsity program. I was offered a junior varsity spot, and that doesn't come with any athletic scholarship, so it was a little bit harder financially, and that would have made my path a little more challenging in college. So I opted to just choose a different school and go for the um, schooling program alone, and I think I've made the right choice for myself, but that also doesn't speak for everybody. It just opens up a little bit more so that other people can kind of understand why different choices might be made. And I want to look back at the NCAA again, and that is how they're very strong in the use of the term student-athlete because it is highlighted that student is first and athlete is second, and that provides... um, really the meat of the argument is what's the difference between student athlete and employee and that includes some labor laws that are widely contested and the ability of a student athlete to pick their major and field of study in college versus uh, not being able to pick because it conflicts with their practice schedule and I was told by a professor of mine that he was advising a student who wanted to be in the nursing program at his school but also had a coach that told him you know that doesn't line up with your practice schedule and basically just gave him the well that sucks so the student was forced to pick between nursing and playing a sport and I think that's a it's a pretty big choice to make especially if both of those are something that could be extremely important to you and to look at the NCAA as a nonprofit as well, this is where you expand the student athlete versus employee. The NCAA is a nonprofit with many people working for it, and they bring in a lot of revenue from advertising around March Madness and big football championships. And one of the key things I found in my research is that they have 
the big NCAA compound that they use that is some pretty nice land. It's a sizable area, and they pay $1 a year for rent. The estimated yearly income of funds for the NCAA is around $1 billion, and they pay $1 a year for the land that their building is on, which is pretty significant. Then looking at that, thinking about how there's all of that money tied in the NCAA with advertisements, especially around March Madness and football championships, big times when a lot of money is generated for collegiate athletes and schools. That money gets reimbursed to the schools and the schools are able to give out scholarships. But if you look at the fact that Division Three does not receive any academic scholarships, that creates a gap there. And something key to highlight in that is labor laws. Now, a lot of people know about labor laws and I'm not a professional on them, so I'm not gonna try to lecture about them. But what I can say is that when using, once again, the term student athlete, students are expected to be full-time to be on campus. So that in reality is about like a full-time job. You live here, you go to class, you do homework outside of class, and the amount of time you spend on it is up to you. But ultimately that really means a pretty big investment into uh, your time. Now, when you add that to the practice schedule a lot of student athletes face, then it is like working two full-time jobs, and they're not getting paid for either of those. In fact, they still end up paying the university a lot of times, whether it be for books, uh, other materials for classes, or if they don't get a full tuition scholarship, they're paying for tuition, and then you have the housing. So there's a lot of cost for athletes to come to college and be participating in school and their sport. Right, and I just think that that's... Uh, it's, it, it depends on your perspective. At least, you know, if you're a, if you're a college, if you're a Division three college, uh, you know, you're, you just don't have that money, you know. You don't, have, you don't have the amount of money to be paying all your athletes because... Uh, you know, it's a drip down effect, right? It's who gets the most money, who gets the biggest support from the NTA, and it's not a wrong thing. It's it's just the way the NTA operates. You know, Oregon is going to be a lot more uh, important to the NCA's overall budget and uh, identity than you know St. Joseph Calumet. You know, so I think that it's just a, a tough thing for a student to be a student athlete at a division three level where they just don't have a break and they just don't have any financial support. Um, it's, it's not a great situation, but you know, if you plan on being a D three athlete, there's nothing wrong with it because it's, you're still a college athlete. It's just that you have to be prepared to make sacrifices and, uh, and you don't have the, that additional help of study tables and having ad advisors basically plan out and map out your, your academics and athletics uh, for you because you know in the division one level you have that um, especially if you're a major athlete but you know if you're a division three athlete you're on your own you know you got to make sure that you got to find a way to go to practice uh, you got to find a way to go to practice go to class do your homework workout uh, still have time for friends 
in relationships if you're in one. Uh, it's just a we talk about the student having a juggling a lot of things. You know, it's 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 student athletes, especially at the lower levels, that are juggling even more. And in my research, I like this quote. This is from Amy McCormick. She says, athletes don't have free choice of what major they take if the classes conflict with practice schedules. And to follow that, that's one fact that flies in the face of the idea that they're primarily students and secondarily athletes. So breaking down that term, that's a term that is loved to be used because it takes away the fact that they're putting in all of their time and it's really hard. But it also says, well, now you don't get to be the student you want to be because you're bound by what you're allowed to do with the time that is not spent in your sport. That That's where I take my stance, and I know that you've provided some good input on that, but that that is one of the key areas that I take my stance on. I think that college athletes should be compensated for their image, but there's some questions that still need to be answered and some reforms that would need to be made and that gets called for by others who have researched this topic and have more experience in this time than I. Now I want to come back to baseball again because I, I feel like it's really important to look at baseball and look at the yearly revenue generated from baseball programs and how it's not nearly as much as football or basketball. But then if you look professionally, a lot of people love to watch professional baseball. It's just at the college level, it's not nearly as uh, widely spread. And softball even competes with that at the same time. Like Those two sports, hand-in-hand, provide a lot of professional league entertainment, but collegiate entertainment is a little bit lower. And I want to hear your thoughts on maybe why you think that is or... Just like what the difference is. You know, I mean, it's incredibly stressful if you're a, a college baseball player because, you know, even if you're elite, right, you're, you're the top 1% of your class of high schoolers and you're playing in the SEC, playing for Vandy, right? Vanderbilt is obviously the premier program, baseball program. They're the most, they're the most well-recognized, the most well-endowed, probably some of the biggest funds go, uh, go to that program. Vandy has that luxury because they're a private school, and you know that's their that's their marketing tool is their baseball program, which is a anomaly compared to the rest of the baseball college baseball world. But and it's just frustrating if you're a college athlete because even if you're at the top percent of the class, you're just not going to get the same luxuries as you know, you know your fellow classmates that are some of their top athletes in that in that college. Like, if they were a football or a basketball athlete, you know, you're not looking at the same respect and you're not looking at the same, uh, you know, academic and financial support. And so that's why there's such a big push for college athletes to just skip college and go to these prep schools and pay money to go to these prep schools instead because they don't want to they don't want to deal with college baseball because of not a lot. There's not a lot of support there. Um, and you do it because you want to further increase your game and increase your draft potential, but the disparity is, is very, very present. Uh, and you just look at the – baseball is one of those sports that it's such a high turnover game. It's such a high game that has so many games 
every game is almost every weekend in college baseball has a game as a series and in professional level you're playing almost every day so the revenue is very complicated very small margins daily but from the larger scheme of things professional baseball makes a lot of money and college baseball doesn't have that luxury unless you're an sec school uh maybe a pac-12 school but even then you're a third rate you're even the even the best programs college baseball programs play third fiddle to basketball and football i appreciate that input because that counters what i know with uh football and basketball and provides some more context on you know maybe why all college athletes aren't compensated for their image and i know some coaches in the past have gotten in trouble for dishing out some of the bonus money that they have gotten like from tournaments from right. doing well in a few games like right. bonuses are given out and coaches have gotten in trouble for turning around and giving that back to the athletes which is something that i think is a really important thing to consider in that as well right the sheer fact that you know that's gotten to the point that co- that the college coaches are dishing out money to their own players uh it speaks volumes to what kind of situation we're in and you know it's just this is just i i gotta highlight this it's just this is such a recent revelation i mean you look at even in the 2000s like 2005 2010 2000 i would say even 12 or 13 or 14 this was not even a conversation this is very much a 2018 2019 argument uh that has been heightened because of the global pandemic because the global pandemic exposed how poorly the NCA has managed their budgets. You know, you're making, like you mentioned, billions of dollars a year, and you're worried about revenue loss, um, and it's just causing schools to close their and close and shutter certain programs because they just can't pay for them. But yeah, I, I just think that overall, it's it's not a good situation. Um, and you know that if college uh, college coaches are risking it to pay their players. Yeah, it causes ethical questions. Is it right to pay? Is it right for the coach to pay its, his own players? Uh, maybe, maybe not. But the sheer fact that it's gotten to this point is really just mind blowing to me because of how much money the NCAA makes a year. Uh, it's just you mean to tell me that you don't budget out properly to if you if you want to own these D three schools, D one D two schools, right? If you want to have these under your umbrella. You have to treat them, you have to give them some kind of luxuries too and have to give them a slice of the pie as well. So it, just the fact that this is happening shows that the NCAA is not budgeted correctly, that they're not, then they're still stuck in the mindset that that scholarships are payment and they don't have to, and they can exploit the player as much as they want for their image and they don't have to pay them anything more because the school's paying for the their tuition. But the NCAA technically is not. And I like that thought, too, um, with how recent this topic seemed to have come up and been more of a thing. And I can remember thinking back, you know, college athletes have to sign an amateur-only contract, which is just to say, like, they won't also play in the professional divisions, which has gotten some athletes in trouble because they've been found out to have been doing that, and they're getting paid kind of discreetly and... That causes some problems in with that as well. But you mentioned Zion Williamson, and right. that's a name that, you know, I don't 
follow mainstream sports that heavily. I used to watch a lot of the uh, European Premier League right. or the Champions League for soccer. But for college basketball, professional basketball, I didn't think too much of it whatsoever. But as soon as Zion Williamson's name was marketed and right. used to highlight the uh, NCAA tournament and mm-hmm. um, athletic merchandise, I knew there was some sort of shift because that was one player that I had heard marketed for more heavily than anybody had ever heard of before right. outside of professional play. And that changes the dynamic and means that something needs to be said or done because again that is extremely recent and something that if that hadn't happened i would still be in the same boat i was back before it happened and wouldn't have any clue who any college players are whatsoever right he's a million dollar athlete and when he was in the college level playing for duke for only that one season he was a million dollar multi-million dollar athlete that the ncaa was getting basically for free and that they could market for free um and you know, you're looking at the NCAA, you're just like, you're really letting, you're really doing this, you're really taking, you're really milking this guy out and using him for any promotional purpose that he can, but he can't sign autographs? Please. Yeah, that's something really important to consider. And to kind of move us towards a wrapping up segment, um, you mentioned something about how the NCAA should have budgeted better and you have to give more of your like division three division two athletes some more funding because division one seems to get all of it and i know more towards the start you said you provide more of like a middle ground context and i have my stance but do you think now after having gone through a bit of that and hearing some of the research i've got pulled up with some some of the quotes and some of the thoughts that i've used if the NCAA still rebudgeted their money and gave it out to the lower division schools, where would your mind be at in the argument? I would be for it. I'd be for it. Uh, you know, it, it's this is a I, we, we have to make baby steps in this scenario because uh, you know there's such a disparity, even when division level one level, right? Uh, the FCS, like North Dakota State, uh, is still a D1 program, uh, and yet they don't make half as much as, I wouldn't even say make, their value may be a quarter of Alabama, right? And I think that I would love to see a shift in revenue uh, and to show that there's an investment in the players opposed to just making it a just a school individual schools investment so that the NCA shows hey not only are the individual schools investing in this player but we are as well um, and I don't think it has to be a lot I think that if you're looking at a d3 school I can, I'm, I'm blanking on any d3 school right off the top of my head but let's take this d3 school and say okay well we have a total of this is a, I'm throwing this number out uh, we have a total of 324 D1 uh, D3 programs uh, if we if we distribute about three hundred and twenty four thousand uh, dollars That school has about a thousand dollars to work with for their all their programs now a thousand dollars is not a lot 
and it's not an investment that uh, is huge, but it's still money, and it's still a thousand bucks can go a long way in travel fees and budgeting that the the, the school already has to deal with it anyways. So throwing in a thousand dollars could definitely change uh, the Division three level at the minimum. And I know that they could invest even more than that if they wanted to. With being a conglomerate, you can make it up to you can make it up to five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars. It wouldn't hurt them. They'd spend that much money on marketing uh, for the March Madness alone. Um, so I think yes, I think that they can pay D three athletes. They can pay D two athletes. Uh, but you know, I think that before they get there, they need to figure out the disparity just between D one first, and then they need to work their way down to D two and D three. Awesome. Now, if that money got distributed to the schools, where would you then sit at? So, say those calls for reform that you've kind of highlighted, where would you be sitting at in the argument should college athletes be paid if those reforms went through and if those issues were ironed out? Right. Yeah, I would be for it. I would be for it 100%. You know, I think that, you know, especially D3 athletes, 100% should be getting a kind of some sort of stipend because of the fact that they're not getting scholarships. So they're the, they're the most in need for financial help. And I think that even a 250, $200 to $500 stipend would be go a long way for these athletes just to be able to pay for books and, uh, you know, pay, pay for living expenses. So, yeah, I'm 100% on board. I think that you brought up some good points. And I think that uh, I think that if there's a if there's any any group that needs to be paid it's definitely uh it's the d3 level now is it an investment do you really think if you're the ncaa why would i want to pay that that hundreds and thousands of millions of dollars to the d3 schools uh is it worth it yes because it's a marketing image it's showing that that you're willing to invest back into the student athlete community all right thank you for your input i i too think that college athletes should be paid and even if reforms are made and we get to see something more along those lines i think college athletes should still be paid and there's a lot of steps that can be taken so i'm hoping that in the near future we get to see some baby steps and some reforms uh once again this was uh just made coffee i'm your host spencer cox and i was joined today by my friend dimitri napoleon and uh thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time